Amen. This morning, we have the opportunity, whoa, we have the opportunity uh, to recognize some members of our congregation who are getting ready to go and share the good news in a place that is desperately in need of the good news. Um, You may know that the Rockwells have been preparing for a while now for for God to place a mission trip in their lives. Uh, There there was a period of time where they had a specific location they were going to go to, and uh, because of COVID, that got delayed. Um, God has opened a new door for them. I'm actually going to invite the Rockwells to come up here while I'm talking, and uh, they are going to be going to Poland. Uh, In fact, they are leaving this week um, with, uh, with the way travel works right now. Uh, they've been putting t- things together. They've been getting ready to go. They've been praying about it. Um, and we want to, as a congregation, pray for them, for the work that they're doing, for those that they're going to be blessing and encouraging. I'm going to invite our elders to come up here. Um, Greg's actually going to offer a prayer in just a moment. But I think it's appropriate on a Sunday that we're talking about unity. Um, that we, we recognize the work the Rockwells do is the work of the church. When they go to minister uh, to, uh, I'm presuming, a lot of refugees especially, um, what they are doing, it is, it is partly on our behalf. Um, we participate with them in their good work that is a participation in the kingdom. These are works that God has given to them, and in our support of them, our prayer for them, our encouragement of them, uh, we, we get to participate as well. Um, and we are blessed to have people in our congregation who are so enthusiastic about going and doing. Um, this is, as long as I've known Josh and Amy, going and doing is high on their priority list. Making disciples is high on their priority list. Um, it is their heart. Uh, it is who they are. It's how they live their lives. And we get to celebrate that along with them. We get to pray for them as they are out in the world doing the work of God. Um, and then when they come back, we get to receive them and, and hear the good news of the work that they've done uh, to celebrate that with them. And then maybe be encouraged by that to do the same ourselves. And so I'm going to invite uh, Greg to say a prayer over them as our elders lay hands on them, and we will... Uh, prepared to send them off this week. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you this morning um, with these folks in mind. Be with Josh and Amy and their children as they travel. We pray for their safety, Father, as they travel. Mostly, Father, we pray that they will be bold, that they will have confidence to speak where they need to speak. And, Father, we also pray that there will be listening ears and open hearts, and uh, we just pray for success in that venue. And, Father, uh, we would ask you to bless them as they go in your name to do this work. Uh, Help them to find um, people, Father. Help them to uh, sow seed. Uh, so that others may come to know you and your son. And, Father, again, keep them safe as they travel. Help this to be a a good work, Father, and uh, we know that you'll be with them. Father, we're thankful for their hearts. We're thankful for their intention, and we would ask that you bless that. Uh, Again, help them to uh, find those people that need to hear about you. And we pray through your son. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Make sure before they head out 
that you get an opportunity to visit with them. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. We're not going to keep you up here awkwardly too long. Oh, yeah, Elliot's birthday. We'll sing you happy birthday here in just a second. Um, that's, that's multiple Sundays in a row we've had birthdays. That's kind of exciting. Um, make sure to visit with them before they go, but more importantly, make sure to visit with them when they come back. Uh, you, you're going to want to know why it is they're going, what it is that God has done in their heart, what the Spirit has done to move them and compel them in this direction. But when they come back, you're going to want to hear the stories that they have to share about individuals that they had the opportunity to encounter and minister to. Um, you know, that's the benefit of being the body of Christ, is that everyone in here has some good news to share with us. And the more that we're involved in relationship with one another, the, the more we hear that good news, the more we have the opportunity to share. It becomes sort of this uh, reciprocal situation where as we hear the good news that someone else has shared, we're emboldened to share the good news in new ways. So I want to encourage you, when they come back, hear what they have to say. Hear what it is that God has done in them and through them. Um, it's, it's really appropriate for this morning's sermon. I feel like uh, what, we, what we are going to be discussing today is essential to our understanding of the mission of the church. Uh, you know, we're making a pretty big jump here. You probably noticed this was chapter 17 that Omar read to us uh, from. It's, it, we were in chapter 13 last week, and you might be thinking, wow, that's a really big jump there. Uh, the reason the scripture reading comes from chapter 17 is because it's right in the middle of a really long discourse that Jesus gives. Uh, in, in the Gospels, specifically Matthew and Luke, there are some long sections of didactic teaching where Jesus gives some really specific instruction about what his people will look like, how they'll behave, the ways in which they will honor God with their mouths, their bodies, not so much with their fists. John doesn't do that. What John does is John gives us some insight into the final moments of Jesus' time with his disciples before his crucifixion. Um, Matthew and Luke both sort of, uh, they say that Jesus goes to the garden and he prays, and they don't give us a lot of the details of what he prays about. Uh, this may actually be a separate prayer, but it is what we call the high priestly prayer. There's a moment in here where Jesus turns not to his disciples, but towards the Father and prays in a way that the disciples are able to hear and experience his concern for them. And before that, he, he instructs them in a number of ways. And I want to talk about some of the things he says to them. He, he begins by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas, who's not shy, says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus, you're telling us that you're going somewhere that we've never seen, that we've never been, uh, and, and you expect us to find our way there. How can we possibly do that? And this is where Jesus then makes one of the most bold 
and clear statements about his own identity. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I don't know if there's a much clearer statement about the divinity of Jesus in all the Gospels than this moment where Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know him. Jesus' statement here is a comfort to his disciples because he's going to go. He is going to leave. He is going to find himself in a position where they cannot follow him for a period of time. Now, I want to be clear. Every single one of his disciples is going to follow him in some way, shape, or form. They are, many of them, going to go to a cross of their own. In Peter's case, Peter is offended at the idea that he could share the same kind of crucifixion as Jesus. And so he's not crucified in the normal way. He is crucified upside down. But all the disciples, all of the disciples commit themselves to follow Jesus in almost a literal sense. They become the martyrs of the church on whom the, the, the growth of the church relies. It is in their death that the church grows exponentially. Because they hear those words, I am the way. And in those words, we are given instructions about what it means to journey to the kingdom. It is to adopt Christ-likeness, not just in superficial ways, to say the right things at the right time, to behave in ways that people would outwardly say, that, that person you know, they're a moral individual. But to go even more deeply, the world generally agrees on certain aspects of morality. What they don't often agree on is the motivation for that morality. And in fact, when we have the correct motivation for morality, we will go further than the world's morality. We will live in ways that are more righteous, more holy, not because we want to lift ourselves up and elevate ourselves and say how great we are, but because we recognize that the author of truth and life has shown us the way. And in knowing Christ, we know the Father. And as we know the Father, we know the image we were created to bear. This is how Jesus begins this dialogue with his disciples. Uh, it's how he begins to introduce the next several concepts that I think we need to understand as we approach the moment where Jesus prays for his disciples. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In chapter 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He gives them a little bit more comfort here. Then in 15 verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. And he begins to talk about the idea that we can have participation in him, that we can be vines that branch off of him, that we can be these, these little pieces of Jesus in the world. And there will be some that will be grafted in and there will be some that will be cut off because they don't fit the vine. If we are a part of Jesus, if we are participating in him, there will be fruit to be born. 
Paul adopts this imagery in the book of Romans. In 15 verse 8, Jesus says, and I think this is essential here, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. In 16 verse 1, Jesus says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. I have promised you my spirit. I have told you that you have participation in me, that you can be grafted into who I am. These two ideas are comfort to you, but now I need to give you a warning. There is going to be a deck stacked against you. Think of all the times that I've spoken, all the words I've said that people have riled against, the way that they have despised me because what I have taught has maybe undermined their power or their teaching or their thinking. It has undermined the way of the world. Don't you think there's the possibility that if you follow the way, they'll do the same to you? And then he tells us, I've given you these words to keep you from falling away. I don't want you to be surprised by what it means to follow me. There is great promise in it. Comfort, peace, assurance, participation in me and my kingdom. But it does come at a price. And when you face that price, don't... don't Be tempted to think that I've abandoned you. Don't fall away. To me, these chapters of the Gospel of John are Jesus' words, not just to the disciples on that night, and he actually makes this really clear in his prayer, not just to people who lived 2,000 years ago, but to the individual sitting in the room this morning. These are words to Randy Mead, to Sarah Brown. These are words to Omar Fierro. These are words to Chris Dunning. These are Jesus' words of comfort, of consolation, of encouragement, and of warning for each one of us. As we hear them echoing through our ears, what we need to recognize is that Jesus, Jesus knew what the world would be like after his resurrection. That although his great work would be accomplished in the crucifixion and the resurrection, that there would still be difficulty for his people to follow. We don't have to look very far. I mean, it's, it's in the book of Acts. Immediately after, the church has this beautiful moment of, of calling thousands to redemption, A very similar sermon is preached by a young man, and as he preaches this sermon, having just been uh, appointed one who would wait on tables for the the church to make sure that the widows were fed well, uh, he's stoned to death for teaching exactly what Jesus has taught, for teaching exactly what Peter just taught. And the church is not surprised by that. They're not deterred by the blood of Stephen. They're not overwhelmed when people drag their apostles out of city gates and stone them. They're not deterred when they are rounded up and used as victims in the Colosseum or as 
torches for Nero's pathways. They're not deterred as they're kicked out of synagogues. They're not deterred as they are forced to leave Jerusalem. They're not deterred as they're mocked in the graffiti of the Romans. They're undeterred in the face of trial and difficulty. Because Jesus has equipped them properly. Jesus has given them the words of comfort and warning that they need. But most importantly, they know what Jesus prayed for. And I want you to hear these words this morning, and I want you to think about what it is that made the church resilient after the resurrection. Certainly it was their belief in the resurrection. There is no doubt about that. The apostles were emboldened and convicted of the resurrected Christ That is the foundation of what they believe. In fact, if you go read John 1, 1, 1 John 1, 1, uh, and you read through the introduction of 1 John, what you see is that John is saying, look, I know this to be true. And what I have touched, what I have seen, what I have heard, I proclaim to you that my joy may be complete. The resurrection is the foundational element of their boldness. But the prayer of Christ is the thing that strengthens them. Hear these words this morning. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is not the prayer of Jesus. We'll get to that in a moment. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And now the prayer of Jesus. Sanctify them in the truth. This is verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I believe that the church knew this prayer of Christ. That they may be one. See, it's easy sometimes for us to feel alone in our faith. I hope that's not the case for anyone sitting in this room this morning. But sometimes it can feel like we are alone in our beliefs, our convictions about Jesus. And we find ourselves feeling as though the world, as Jesus has told us they would be, stands against us. 
hates us. As Jesus says, hates you and reviles you for my name's sake. We find ourselves a little demoralized. We find ourselves feeling just a little bit like the good news is not as good as we thought it was. But Jesus has given us a community. Jesus didn't intend for us to be Rambo, to go off and be an army of one man, to be isolated from the rest of the group. He, he didn't intend for us to be solo warriors for good in the world. He didn't choose one disciple to follow him around and say, I'm going to give you all this knowledge and I want you to go make disciples of all the world. He gave 12 apostles this commission. Later, he chooses another one because 12 just wasn't quite enough. I need a 13th. I'm going I'm to call Saul of Tarsus. Jesus, is he even a Christian? Well, now he is. Jesus employs a community to bear the good news. Now, they have some struggles within themselves. There are times where they are not seeing completely eye to eye. We can read the book of Acts and we see that there has to be some debate. There has to be some argumentation. There has to be moments where they really do champion one side or the other in a cause. But you know what they ultimately come down to over and over and over again? Didn't Jesus tell us he'd give us a spirit? What seems good to the spirit? I want to encourage you with these words of Jesus this morning to think very carefully about the way in which we embrace our community. The way in which we benefit from the work, the news, the, the, the good news that one and other, one another, that we all bear. I'm trying to conjugate here in my head and it's not working. Think about those things which we all have that nobody else in our group has and how we're not supposed to take those things and store them up for ourselves without sharing. The Rockwells are not going to go to Poland and come back and we're going to ask them and, and we, we say, what good happened there? What is the good news of the gospel in Poland? What is the good news in Poland of Jesus' work? And they're going to say, ah, you know, that's really just for us. We, uh, we'd rather not share it. What is your good news this week? What is something good that God did in the lives that you interacted with? Who did you bless? How did God bless you in difficult situations? How did you experience the Spirit moving in your life? How did you find the way to be superior to the way of the world? There is someone in this room today that would benefit from hearing it. Now we read about this, we, we read about this, be one as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one, these ideas of the unity of the Trinity. But what we, what we forget sometimes is that they're in constant communication with one another. This section right here is God 
praying to God's self for you. There are moments where Jesus goes off into the wilderness and he prays God to God's self for God's self. There are moments in which Jesus finds himself comforted by the Spirit. The Spirit who is God comforting the Son who is God on behalf of the Father who is God. And this morning, if we genuinely believe that we are the body of Christ, the active church that extends from Jesus himself, that shares the mission of Jesus, that is here for the restoration of the nations, for people being brought back together into harmony with one another and God, shouldn't we be in communion with one another? The love that we share with one another the good news that we share with one another, the comfort that we provide for one another, the the dialogue that we have with one another, the beauty of the Trinity, of the incarnation of Jesus and the way in which that expresses the Trinity to us is that God is for God's self. I want you to think about that for just a moment. God is for God's benefit. Now, he's for our benefit as well. But the Father is for the benefit of the Son. The Son is for the benefit of the Spirit. The Spirit is for the benefit of the Son. This is this beautiful, rich tapestry of God encouraging, equipping, empowering, and building up God's self. Can the church be any less than that? Jesus prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Are you in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because there is a lot of opposition out there in the world. As we said before, Jesus has expressed to us that we will face trial and difficulty, that there will be struggle. Jesus has not promised an easy road for any of us. He has provided us first with his spirit, but then with one another. Christianity is not rugged individualism. It is a confession of reliance on God and the community that he has provided us. That's what it means to be unified. That I need Greg, and I need Nancy. I need Terry and Marva, who you all are going to meet here in just a little bit. I need the body of Christ. And the more I recognize that and embrace it, the richer and fuller and more powerful my ministry and the ministry of the church becomes. Jesus' ministry is powerful and effective because of his absolute reliance on the community of the Trinity. Can we be as reliant on one another? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have given us so many good gifts, more than we can count, 
in this week alone, I guarantee that we have innumerable blessings. And Father, I pray today that we would recognize one of the greatest blessings you have given us is the people in this room. The body which we are a part of, the, the vine that we share that is your son. And we are branches off of that vine, which means that the same blood flows through our veins, that we derive our nutrients, our, our life from the same place. Help us to be reliant on one another. Help us to be unified in love for one another. Help us to be unified in the mission that we serve together. Help us to share the good news of what God is doing in our lives today with one another. And help us to be emboldened by the unity that you have promised us, that you have prayed for. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church today, if you are struggling, if you find yourself in a position where you need that unity, you need someone to pray for you, walk alongside you, love you, support you in a struggle that you're facing, we want to be a part of that today because we believe that God has given his church to his church for the benefit of one another. If you have a need that we can help fulfill, let us know. I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium. I would be happy to visit with you. I know people in here who will love you well who will pray for you, who will walk alongside you, provide you the wisdom you need. I also want to let you know, if you are looking to be baptized, if you want participation in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we believe that happens through baptism. And we believe that when you participate in the life of Christ, you inherit the body of Christ and all the benefits that come with that. And you're filled with the Spirit to comfort you in times of trial and difficulty. If that's what you need this morning... We want to let you know that that can be provided. I, again, will be at the back of the auditorium. We have elders here who will uh, visit with you if that's what you'd like. We have some ladies here today that would be happy to visit with you as well. But this time, we're going to continue in our worship. Let's stand.